If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Scientists and doctors all over the world are searching for ways to help coronavirus patients. But they're short on solutions. A vaccine is still at least a year away. And while some drugs seem to show promise, there's currently no medication approved by the Food and Drug Administration that can cure COVID-19. But late last week, the FDA announced that it would be opening up a path for a new experimental treatment for the virus— one that could potentially help people recover faster and could even prevent infection. And the key ingredient to this new treatment comes from recovered patients. Today on the show, the latest idea to treat coronavirus using the blood of survivors. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Monday, April 6th. Andrew Sherman lives in Brooklyn with his wife and two kids. For work, he's a music composer for TV and movies. And he also writes jingles for commercials. We used to do this one. uh, I'll try to do it over the piano. uh, Also, I haven't sung in a while, so... Pillsbury, my heart to yours. Yes. (laughs) Andrew might be singing jingles now, but a few weeks ago, he was sick with COVID-19. First, his taste and smell changed. For me, it smelled like rotting fruit. Almost anything I tried to eat or anything I tried to drink other than water or Gatorade was uh, sort of mildly repulsive. He developed other symptoms, too. About a week in, things started to take a turn for the worse. The worst that it got was the feeling of kind of like drowning because you were breathing out, but you couldn't really breathe in very far. So it became kind of a mental exercise to train myself to breathe more and more rapidly. That's around when Andrew's wife stepped in. And she said, this is more than, you know, I think we need to try to handle here. And uh, I basically agreed and, and we went we went to the hospital. Andrew spent three days at the hospital getting oxygen through a mask. Once his oxygen levels stabilized, he was released to continue his recovery from home. As he felt better, Andrew started looking for ways to help. You know, once you survive something, if you could possibly help somebody else out, it's required. It's not heroic to me. It's just a thing that you should probably do after you've been through it and you made it, you know. Soon, he found his opportunity to help. His wife heard from a doctor she knows at a New York hospital who was looking to get in touch with COVID survivors like Andrew. Because COVID survivors have a special potential treatment coursing through their veins. It's contained in their plasma. Plasma is one of the products that's in your blood, and it's where the antibodies are. Amy Doxer Marcus covers health, and she says doctors are really interested in these antibodies. Antibodies are the proteins that allow your immune system to identify and attack something that it perceives as an infectious agent. They go in your system and try to fight off the virus. 
It sort of sounds like a special weapon that your immune system figured out how to make after it had fought off and defeated the virus. Correct. For people who've recovered from COVID-19, their blood is full of these antibodies. And doctors want to get those antibodies out. Doctors find recovered patients and get a blood donation from them. What they do is this process where you're kind of hooked up to an IV in each arm and your blood is taken from one arm and it goes into a machine that filters out the plasma and then your red blood cells are returned back to you simultaneously and they're able to transfuse that plasma with the antibodies into a sick patient in the hopes that it will help that patient also neutralize the virus and have a better outcome. This technique of taking plasma from a recovered person and putting it into the body of a sick person isn't new. This approach has been used in the past. It was used during 1918, during the Spanish flu. It's been used when there have been other kinds of infectious outbreaks, such as measles outbreaks. It was used also during the SARS crisis, and it was also used in China recently. Early studies from China are showing that plasma can be an effective treatment in COVID patients. And if it proves to be effective at large scale, the potential is huge. There's two main ways doctors can use the treatment. One, they can give it to sick patients to help them recover faster. And two, they can give it to people who aren't sick at all but are at a high risk, people like healthcare workers, to help their immune systems fight off the virus before they get sick. When Andrew got out of the hospital, he knew he wanted to help. But donating plasma wasn't on his mind. Initially, he thought maybe he could be useful in other ways as someone who'd survived the illness and might be immune from getting it again. You know, I'm in a unique position having been there and gone through it. I'm in a unique position to do something. The first thing I thought of was volunteering at the hospital because I wouldn't have to wear all that stuff. But Andrew might actually need that protective gear. Amy says doctors aren't sure whether survivors are immune. One of the questions that we still don't know is whether people can get reinfected. I mean, yes, we think that people may be able to return to some form of normal life if they've survived this infection. But every scientist I've talked to has said, I have more questions than answers. I don't think anyone is yet saying to survivors, you know, you have nothing to worry about. But donating plasma is something survivors like Andrew can do without worry. And so thousands of people like him are lining up to donate. Every single life is a, is a person with a family and children or people who love them. You know, if you could do anything to save one person, you should do it. Right now, doctors are saying that patients must be symptom-free and have tested negative for the coronavirus before they can donate plasma. And some of the first patients in the U.S. who are hitting that milestone are just 20 miles away from Andrew in the New York suburb of New Rochelle. In New Rochelle, there was an early outbreak of people who got COVID. They had a blood drive, essentially a plasma drive, where hospitals sent mobile units over to a synagogue in New Rochelle. And I spoke with someone who helped organize the effort, and he said that they had 700 people who had signed up on an email list who said that they were recovered patients and that they would be willing to be screened to become potential donors. It's almost like in a wartime footing where 
all the good citizens are coming forward and saying, I'd like to help the effort, I'd like to help. But figuring out if the people who want to help are the right type of donor is the big challenge facing doctors right now. Here's what one doctor told Amy. One of the first things one of the organizers said to me is that he didn't see the main obstacle really as being finding plasma donors. He felt that there were so many people who were willing to donate and willing to volunteer. He saw the key challenges as being logistical ones. After the break, the challenges facing doctors and scientists who want to push plasma therapy into the mainstream. If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Welcome back. Scientists are quickly realizing that there are big challenges to getting a lot of plasma. First of all, medical workers are focused on treating patients, meaning there aren't many to spare for plasma collection. And there may not even be enough donors to treat everyone who's sick. There's also the bigger question of figuring out who should donate in the first place. That's especially hard because testing hasn't been readily available in the U.S., and doctors would like to collect plasma from people who definitely had COVID-19. They want to start with people who did receive a test and know that they were positive. They need to also give those people a second COVID test to make sure that they're now negative because even if they feel better, they need to make sure that they're negative for the virus because some people can still be positive and not show symptoms. So they need to take a second test. Tests, while it's ramping up, it's been in short supply and not everybody who needs to get tested has been tested. They also probably don't know who the best donor is. Like, is it best to get the antibodies from a donor who didn't get very sick or someone who got very sick? So that's a great question. And I actually had posed that to one of the doctors. I said to the doctor, would someone who had a really terrible time in the hospital but managed to come through, would that be your ideal donor of antibodies? And the doctor said to me, well, we don't know. What about someone who their immune system was so great that they were positive for COVID but didn't have any serious symptoms or any serious experience of disease? Would those people be better donors because maybe they have some kind of revved up system that's great at fighting off a virus? Or do you want someone who went through the ringer and managed to come through and maybe they're the best donors? And if it turns out that the best donors are the ones that experience the, the mildest symptoms, if any at all, you probably wouldn't even be able to get their plasma because those are the people that are the least likely to have had a test to find out if they ever even had it. Correct. You know, especially, let's say, in New York, a lot of people who were experiencing symptoms would call their doctors and say, I'm experiencing symptoms. And many of the doctors would say, it's possible that you do have it, or it sounds like you do have symptoms that fit into this, but you don't fit into what, you know, the criteria for people who should be getting the tests because the tests are in such shortage right now, we're not going to be able to test you. Once doctors do eventually find the right people with the right testing records, they also have to find a safe location for donors to congregate, just in case they're still contagious. 
you know, you have a situation in the state of New York and other states where people are being told to stay in their homes. And so you need to figure out, well, how can we get them to places where they could donate blood? How do we move these people and transport them in a safe fashion? How do we get them out of their homes to do these essential medical procedures? You don't want, in the course of them doing a good deed, to endanger anyone else's health. The logistical and scientific questions about who are the best donors is just one piece of the puzzle. The other is how to actually treat sick patients once you get the plasma. There are many, many scientific questions that still need to be resolved. What's the right amount of antibodies that you would need? At what course during the disease would you want to give these antibodies? When would someone be so seriously ill that giving this plasma with the antibodies won't make any difference, and therefore maybe you shouldn't give it to them? Given all these hurdles and all these questions, are scientists optimistic that it's worth the effort? The feeling I got from the doctors and scientists and researchers I spoke to was, this may not be the best tool that we have, but it has value. It has some historical precedent. It can be done in a few weeks. We can ramp up in a few weeks to at least try it on some people. We can start to gather data and we can see if it's worth moving forward with in a large scale. Maybe it won't work and maybe it will. Nobody is saying they know for sure the answer to this question. All they're saying is there is some preliminary promising data. We're in an emergency situation. Let's try to implement this the best we can, and let's gather data so that in the longer term, we can really have a scientific answer to these questions. And there's a group working to answer these questions. It's called the National COVID-19 Convalescent Plasma Project. That group includes doctors and scientists from more than 60 institutions around the world. They talk every night at nine o'clock. They're working extremely quickly to share best practices, to write protocols, to secure permissions from FDA, to engage blood centers. They said that Amazon and some other companies had helped them set up their website so that they could try to get up quickly to get patients, you know, involved. They have medical students who, you know, go through emails and try to screen patients. I mean, this is this is a huge effort and they're they're all working very, very rapidly with a lot of buy-in and cooperation. Their goal is to gather enough data so that they can get approval from the FDA to use plasma more widely. And right now it's looking promising. Last week, the FDA said it was fast-tracking clinical trials and making it easier to start giving plasma from healthy survivors to people who are still sick. We hear so many stories about the selfishness of humans. I think it's compelling to many people to hear about, you know, the selflessness of humans and our desire to help other people not suffer. To me, some of the things that are also hopeful with this is that just the innovative quality of humans, I think it doesn't change the fact that we're surrounded by intense sadness and serious loss. But I think it's a reminder that there's sort of a flame there that, you know, of hope that remains that's still there of people who are smart and unselfish and are working very, very rapidly to try to come up with solutions. That's all for today, Monday, April 6th. 
The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.